Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Good morning, everyone. It's a blessing to be gathered here again this morning in this way. Um, it started out as kind of a unique way to gather, but I guess it's become kind of commonplace to meet on Zoom like this, and especially these Saturday morning meetings have been a tremendous blessing. Um, we are happy to have Brother John D. Martin from Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, with us this morning, sharing on a message that, if you know Brother John and have spoken to him even briefly, you'll know that this is a message close to his heart and something he's very passionate about. And from testimonies I've heard from numerous individuals, his message about the kingdom has definitely sparked a lot of interest and a lot of zeal and a lot of excitement around the kingdom. So let's just pause in prayer before we get started here this morning. Let's pray. Holy Father in heaven, gracious one, we thank you for your tender mercies to us again this morning. We are grateful to be gathered in this way with other of your children. We thank you, Lord, for the message we are about to hear. We pray that our hearts would be prepared um, may the seeds of truth be planted in fertile ground so that the message of the kingdom would take root in our lives and would make a difference in how we live and the decisions that we make, but also that we could show it to the, the world around us who is a part of the, um, the opposing kingdom. Lord, help us to keep that line clear in our minds. Be with Brother John as he shares this morning. Um, May his thoughts be clear, and I pray that you would give him the words to speak, that your name would be praised here this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead, Brother John. Yes, this subject is a very uh, important subject to me. I probably was 30 years of age before I realized that the theme of the gospel was not to get people to heaven primarily. I mean, obviously, that's the end of the story. Uh, and so I never heard a sermon about that uh, the whole time I was growing up. Uh, revivalistic preaching was all about uh, escaping hell and going to heaven. The gospel song is all about getting saved and going to heaven, how wonderful it's going to be. Uh, so that was what I grew up with. And it never entered my mind that there was any other way of looking at the gospel. And then, believe it or not, it was Calvin. Uh, I was reading some of Calvin's writings. And then I realized that, oh, there's this theme of the kingdom of heaven uh, that uh, permeates the, the scriptures. And uh, that, that started me on a quest. And then my next experience was to uh, study our Anabaptist uh, people. And I discovered that was their message. And uh, then I picked up a book here uh, some years ago by N.T. Wright, How God Became King. Have any of you read that book? Well, he, he points out that the gospel has, and, and he's on this subject too, he points out that the gospel uh, has been presented as what he calls an empty cloak. I mean, you have this cloak, but the, the body is missing. And uh, he pointed out that the Apostles' Creed, for instance, if, if you want to know what the church basically was thinking, you just have to read the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
<laughs> so you have this great big leap from Jesus' virgin birth to the cross. And uh, you have all these chapters in between those two events uh, missing. Uh, you have Mark, Matthew 1 and 2, and then you jump the whole way to Matthew 27 and 28. You skip about 24 chapters. And the book of Luke, you uh, have verses 1 and 2, you have his birth. And then in the Apostles' Creed, you jump the whole way uh, to 23 and 24. You miss 20 whole chapters. Uh, and then I noticed E. Stanley Jones, who also became a very great influence in my thinking. And you have to be careful when you read E. Stanley Jones, and I would recommend that you do. He was a Methodist missionary to India. He was non-resistant, and he had a tremendous concept of the kingdom of God as being just written into all parts of the universe, written into our very constitution. But you have to be careful when you read him because he does not see the two kingdoms. He was a post-millennialist, hoping that if we worked hard enough preaching the gospel, the whole world would eventually come to it. And he felt that after the two world wars, that the world was getting sick of war and that they were really open to the gospel and that uh, the world would eventually uh, see the kingdom of God uh, as the way. Well, that, of course, that didn't happen. He died in 63, and I'm not sure what he was thinking at the end. But uh, you would benefit by reading his books. He has a lot of wonderful things to say about the kingdom, uh, many, many beautiful details he brings out. But he does not see the two kingdoms, so you have to always keep that in mind. So uh, the interesting thing about it is this was Jesus' main message. The Bible says Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, Jesus did not use words carelessly. If he says kingdom, he means a society of people. He's not just talking about individuals trying to get to heaven. He's talking about a society of people. And this is what he always preached. He said, for this end, I was sent to preach the kingdom of God. And uh, so uh, he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. That was, He was sent to preach that message. All right. And he considered this a very important part of his ministry. And an evidence of that is when you read John 17, he says at the beginning of that prayer, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Well, that's interesting. That's before the cross. So when people say to me, do you believe in the finished work of Christ? I say, which one? <laughs> because there were two finished works of Christ. The first one was to demonstrate what the kingdom looked like in his ministry and in his person. And then the cross was the second finished work. And both of them are important. But nobody talks about that first finished work. But Jesus did call it a finished work. I have glorified thee on the earth. I finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory I had with thee before the world was. So this was a very important message to Jesus. It's what he was sent to do. He, uh, he actually talked about finishing that work before the cross. And so this, this, is, uh, what he, uh, this is what he came to do. Jesus always called his message of the gospel of the kingdom. You won't ever find him calling it anything else. When, he, when the content of Jesus' message is described, it's always the gospel of the kingdom. He told the disciples they were to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 10, 7. Jesus referred to the kingdom of heaven at least 124 times in his teachings. And speaking of the end of time, he says, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. So that's, that's what he said was, was supposed to happen. 
the Lord's Prayer begins and ends with the kingdom. Um, the uh, uh, Beatitudes begin and end with the kingdom. I mean, it's just when you when you know this, you see it everywhere uh, as you're reading and, and all kinds of uh, implications that you see. Philip went to Samaria preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Paul was always preaching the gospel of the kingdom. In 19, Acts 19.8, you have him at Ephesus. It says he was there for three months teaching the gospel of the kingdom. And then you turn to the end of the book of Acts, and that's what he's still doing. The, the Jews come to meet him uh, after he arrives in Rome, and that's what he preaches to them. We could turn to all these scriptures. Uh, we won't take time this morning. Uh, and then at the very end, the last verses of Acts, it says Paul dwelt in his two in his hired house, uh, preaching to all who came to him, the kingdom of heaven. And it's interesting that Jesus, the 40 days he spent after his resurrection, it says he spent that whole time teaching of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the question in everybody's mind is, what was he talking about? The, pre, the uh, dispensationalists, of course, have put the kingdom somewhere in the future. That I, I call attention to Mark 9, 1, where Jesus said there's some people standing here that will not pass away till they've seen the kingdom come in power. Now, I don't know which, when you think that was, but to me, that had to be Pentecost, uh, with the, that the kingdom came with power. So uh, this isn't just a future kingdom. It's, a, it's a, a present reality. In fact, Peter says, you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he's saying that the beautiful light that the world is going to see comes out of this corporate group of people, a nation, a, uh, a nation of people. So I want to talk a little bit about three things. I want to talk about a kingdom awareness. I want to talk about a kingdom approach. And I want to talk about a kingdom appeal. And then a few comments at the end, what advantages we have if we teach the, the gospel as the gospel of the kingdom. Well, kingdom awareness, Jesus said it very clearly. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. He did not say, seek ye first your own salvation. He did not say uh, anything like that. In fact, uh, 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 he, he didn't say uh, repent when he started preaching or you'll go to hell. That's true. Or you'll go to heaven. That's true. But that's not what he said as his primary focus. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here for you to join. We're inviting you to join the kingdom. All right. It's interesting that none of the creeds, and I read the Apostles' Creed, none of the creeds say anything about the kingdom. And I, I think that's very revealing that the church, in all its efforts to, to, to encapsulate its beliefs in its creeds, said nothing about this except the the. Uh, Creed of Constantinople, uh, I'm going to read what it says. It's the only one that says anything about the kingdom. And he shall come again to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. So it places it in the future. And so why is this a passion of my heart? Because I think we have to come back to this. Uh, and you'll see that as we go along. The Dortrecht Confession of Faith, which was written in 1632, uh, 100 years after the Anabaptist movement began, had already sort of lost this concept, even though it's a good confession of faith. It's an excellent confession of faith, but it only has one reference to the kingdom. And it has uh, that reference is, is in its article on excommunication. The Garden City, uh, Missouri Confession of 1921 says nothing about the kingdom at all. Uh, so uh, that's why 
I'm concerned about this, all right? I was brought up with what I call a save me gospel. And I don't think we have to wonder why we have so much individualism in the church now and why we're struggling so much with people who are just focused on themselves. That's basically how the gospel has been presented. Uh, too much that way. I'm sure there were many other things said that were good, but, uh, and I'm not trying to be uh, critical, but, uh, but I feel very strongly about this and we need to get back to a kingdom concept because the Anabaptists really did have this concept. They saw two kingdoms and they saw a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. And they believed that if, if they could uh, focus on a corporate entity, which they talk more about the church, they don't use the word kingdom very much, that it would be a lantern of righteousness. I'm going to quote um, Peter Riddeman, a Hutterite. The church is a lantern of righteousness. I like that picture. Not, not individuals. I mean, obviously, we shed our little individual lights too, but the church is a, is a lantern of righteousness in which the light of grace is born and held before the whole world. The church is completely filled with the light of Christ, its brightness shines out into the distance to give light to others who are still walking in darkness. And notice he's saying the church, this corporate body is a light. And it's interesting to me, you know, uh, when I talk to people, they carry this ideal down in their hearts, what an ideal society should be. And that's why uh, the socialists always has such tremendous appeal because they're appealing to an equitable society where people are treated the way they're supposed to be treated, the way Jesus teaches. They don't know that. Uh, money is shared. There's not rich. There's not poor. There's this ideal of this ideal society. And that's why this is such a powerful message. Are you aware of the fact that the communists, the Marxists, won the hearts of one third of the world with this message? From each according to his means to each according to his needs. They never delivered on it. It turned into a nightmare because selfishness finally dominated. And a few elites preached that to everybody else and lived differently themselves. And that's the way it always turns out. Uh, until selfishness is dealt with, this will always uh, be an elusive ideal and turn into something very different. But anyway, this, uh, the, the Anabaptists had this. And I would say even today, uh, for whatever anybody wants to say about the Amish, people come from all over the world to see these people. Why? They see them living together. They see them working together. They see them building their barns. They see them, they, they see community. And I think one of the things that has destroyed this ideal was the automobile, believe it or not, because the automobile scattered us hither and yon. And people drive to our churches from a half hour away, an hour away. People do not see a visible community. For years, I have promoted the idea of some kind of effort to have some kind of geographical proximity so people could come and actually see a community, a visible community. Uh, so anyway, uh, that, that's my little plug for what the Amish have done. Their horse and carriages have kept them close together. They, they can't travel as far as we travel. Um, I don't know when the car came into existence, whether anybody thought about that or not, but it's, it's a very obvious reality. So, and in fact, I think that's one of the reasons why the Anabaptists had such tremendous uh, uh, ability to withstand all the persecution. Uh, they did believe in the imminent return of Christ. They believed that if they were burned at the stake today, they would be vindicated tomorrow. And they really did believe in this kingdom of God. So, so we, we need a kingdom awareness. That's what I'm talking about. We need to realize, we need to keep this uppermost in our mind. That this is the message. Our personal redemption is not an end in itself. The problem with the save me gospel, it makes that an end in itself. It's all about me. It's all about me getting to heaven. Uh, 
My personal salvation is a means to an end. God can't have a redeemed society unless he has redeemed people. And so, uh, in fact, (laughs) Finney said, any person whose basic primary reason for being a Christian is to escape hell shall surely go there. He that shall save his life shall lose it. Um, I remember that's the only uh, quote I remember from his book, Lectures to Professing Christians, because I remember reading that and it hit me between the eyes. That's quite a statement. He who is perfect, he, whose primary reason for being a Christian is to escape hell, shall surely go there. And, and I will say that uh, I grew up with about 30. I grew up in a very large congregation, conference Mennonite congregation, and I had about 30 friends uh, a year or so older or younger than I was. And they are all in the world today. Every one of them, all except one, I have one close friend uh, that would still be following. And I think that's part of the reason why, uh, because uh, we didn't preach the kingdom. And so here you're asking young people to focus their whole life, all the difficult problems they're having today, in light of what's going to happen way in the future when they die. The kingdom of heaven gives us an immediate excitement about the Christian life. It's something here and now. It's something to demonstrate to the world here and now. So let's talk a little bit about a kingdom approach. When Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was talking to a Jewish audience. Can you imagine what they were thinking? I think their minds, when he said kingdom, they had been taught this the whole way through their history. And so their mind immediately went to that ideal society that Micah talked about and that Isaiah talked about, where people would beat their swords into plowshares, uh, the children would be, the cities would be safe. The children could play in the streets. Old people would be taken care of. It would be an equitable society. Uh, and, I, and Jesus, I think, was very much aware of that, that. That when he said kingdom of heaven, every time he repeated that, this ideal society was always in people's minds. God had always wanted a people. In the Old Testament, he wanted a nation who showed the whole world what a nation looked like whose God is the Lord. He's always wanted this corporate expression. Uh, And so, and the Queen of Sheba came uh, during the reign of Solomon, which we find out after Solomon died, wasn't the greatest example of the kingdom, uh, really. But it was far better than anything else that was going on in the world. And she said, I didn't uh, know the half till I got here. There's no people in this world that are so blessed. There's not a people in the world who has such equitable laws. And she just was overwhelmed with what she saw in this kingdom. Okay. The first use of the word kingdom is in Exodus 19 uh, verses five and six, where Jesus says, "Ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. So this is not the absolute kingdom of God. And I think this is why uh, some people react to this idea of the kingdom here. And now they say, well, the kingdom as they understand, it's going to be this absolute kingdom where everything is perfect. no, Uh, we're not living in that absolute kingdom. And I think maybe part of the problem is uh, people sometimes use uh, methods to act like our churches are absolute kingdoms. Uh, No, it's a mediatorial kingdom uh, where we are mediating God's grace to our own lives to bring them into harmony with, with uh, the reality that God intended. And then to demonstrate that to the world, to show the nations. Uh, So that's, that's what, what it's all about. Uh, so in the Old Testament, God wanted a nation to show what a nation looked like whose God is the Lord. Now he wants us to demonstrate, I believe, the original society God had in mind. Because Jesus kept 
it, Jesus said in Matthew 19 that Moses granted you a divorce and remarriage um, law. But from the beginning, it was not so. To me, that's a signal that Jesus now wants to restore the original ideal for society. And when I explain this on the telephone to people in relation to non-resistance, I say, well, look, we respect the kingdoms of this world. They were put here to keep order. And uh, we, we, we respect them for that. We support them in doing that. But we can't participate because we are representing a society that God had in mind before sin came into the world, before there was any need for coercion, before there was any need for resistance. And so if we participate in government, we're compromising that ideal. We're, we're getting involved in the use of, of carnal and lethal force. And, and that, when I explain it that way, that's very clear to them. Uh, and so that, and that, th that helps me understand, too, this kingdom we're talking about is demonstrating the ideal society that God had in mind. It won't be perfect, but it will be credible because his Holy Spirit will convict us when we do wrong and we will make our wrongs right. There will be little glitches in this kingdom, but we will always be pursuing that ideal, even though it's not absolutely perfect. All right. Uh, <clears throat> Now, I wanted to talk a little bit. They asked me to talk about expanding the kingdom. I think we have to have this in mind in relation to missions. If, you're to ask, if you were to ask most people why they want to go to the mission field or what they think about missions, their idea is the whole world is going to hell, and we need to get out there and save people so they go to heaven. So, I mean, that, that save me gospel has permeated people's thinking about the uh, 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 missions. Well, Jesus says we're to take the gospel of the kingdom to the world. And what I see is little outposts of heaven. So people can look in and see a society of people living the way down deep in their hearts. They know people are supposed to live. And they see the, the, the lost ideal of man lived out in this little Christian community, this little lantern of righteousness, as the Anabaptists like to talk about. That should, I think, be the purpose for missions. And I think it often is because our missions, people went to the mission field and they sort of lived in a compound and people did sort of see a little kingdom there. So maybe in spite of the theology, it, it got represented anyway. And, and then uh, in, in light of that, think about our country. I talk to people on the billboards that I'd like to refer them to a church. Very seldom, unless it's here in the East, or uh, on the West Coast, and even on the West Coast, very seldom can I refer them to one of our churches within an hour. Uh, we, we, we have almost many, many people we talk to, we have no church to recommend that where they would actually see something like this. And so the concept of mission should not have been so much an outreach to get people saved. It should have been the concept that we want to have outposts all over this country, little colonies of heaven everywhere, all over this country. So people everywhere have a chance to look in and see the ideal society, the, 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 the lost ideals in their own heart. They get to see that. And of course, the whole point is to have them then want to join that. And so because we haven't had that concept, we have not scattered out over the country. We have not made it our purpose to have outposts all over this country, outposts of the kingdom all over the world. We feel unless we have some great call to go out and save people, then we're not really called to be a missionary. I don't think that's the call. I think the call is to go out and establish a colony of heaven. Uh, whether anybody ever gets saved or not, uh, 
we hope they do, but that's not the, the whole point is not what actually it accomplishes. The whole point is to have a kingdom witness, a kingdom community, a colony of heaven, uh, everywhere all over the earth. And when I started the billboard ministry, I wondered, why did we do this? We have all these people now that are asking about a place where they can go to see this. And, and we, we, we can't do it. We just, we don't have these colonies of heavens planted all over our country. So, uh, Jesus said that we would be a city set on a hill. A city is not an individual. A city is a corporate entity. All right. Uh, it's interesting that the early Christian, and, and, and what is the witness of these communities? The witness of the community is to mediate the blessings of the kingdom as much as possible to the whole surrounding society. And I want to read you something that just really blesses me. Uh, Famine and war had recently afflicted the city of Caesarea. So when the plague hit in early, the early fourth century, the populace was already weakened and unable to withstand this additional blow. The populace began fleeing the city for the safety of the countryside. This is the city of Caesarea. However, in the midst of the fleeing inhabitants, at least one group stayed behind, the Christians. A bishop of the city and a historian of the early church, Eusebius, recorded in the church, the church history that during the plague, all day long, some of them tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to all. And then Julian Apostate comes along. He was raised a Christian. This was after Christianity basically dominated the empire. And he got this idea that the reason why Rome was going down, and by the way, it fell uh, after Christianity had permeated it. He felt the reason why it was going down is because they had neglected the pagan gods. So he tried to revive paganism, but he finally threw up his hands in despair. Julian the Apostate recognized that the Christian practice of compassion was one cause behind the transformation of the faith from a small movement on the edge of the empire to cultural ascendancy. Writing to a pagan priest, he said, when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, then I think the impious Galileans, he thought they were atheists, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. Now, here's his comment. They support not only their poor, but ours as well. All men must see that our people lack aid from us. And he proposed to the pagans that they imitate the Christians with their compassion. <laughs> and so people often wonder why Christianity has such a powerful influence on the, uh, on the Roman Empire. I really do believe it was this. Uh, nobody could outserve these people. And, uh, and that's another challenge to us, too. In fact, we're coming into a time in our country where we, we may have many, many opportunities uh, for that. Let's see, was there something else I wanted to read here? Uh, yes. Elsewhere, Julian Apostate stated, regarding the Christians, it is their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done the most to increase their atheism. So there's our challenge, to plant little outposts to make sure we've well represented the kingdom of heaven all over the country, and then uh, through those uh, little outposts of heaven to mediate the wonderful graces of compassion and care for people uh, everywhere. Uh, 
it's interesting that when people ask me, for instance, the kingdom perspective just is so helpful in the presentation of the gospel because half of our calls now are from gays. And so they answer the phone and they say, I'm gay. Can I go to heaven? And my standard answer is, well, you need to join the kingdom of heaven now if you want to go to heaven. Well, what's that? They've never heard of such a thing. And then before I even get into the subject of being gay or other social issues that they bring up, I describe this ideal. I, I, I bring out the teachings of Jesus. I show what this society would look like. It's a society where marriages are permanent. When the people say yes, they mean yes. You can absolutely trust their word. There's no lying in this society. There's no coercion. They don't resist evil men. They resist evil, but they do it with different methods. They don't accumulate wealth. They share it. I present all of that. And then I say to them, do you think that the lifestyle you're talking about fits this picture? And almost without exception, they say no. I say, well, it's not a question of whether you can go to heaven when you die. That's God's judgment to make. But it's very clear, and the Bible makes it very clear, you cannot be part of his kingdom now. And of course, if you're not a part of his kingdom now, you can maybe guess what's going to happen in the end. Uh, And so that's not a direct message condemning them. It's putting a picture before them. They now can relate the specific issues that they're concerned about to. Uh, So this is just a powerful way to present the gospel. It's such an attractive. In fact, you don't know how many people I have tell me after I've presented this, if I had been presented that as the gospel, I probably would still be a Christian. Or they'll say, wow, (laughs) at the end of my description. I mean, this is just, you know, the Bible says God put eternity in our hearts. It's right here. When you give this message, it resonates. They know everybody should tell the truth. And they think that'd be wonderful. Whether they do it or not is another question. In fact, they can't. In difficult situations, they're going to lie because they don't have the power of the gospel uh, to help them through the difficult applications of these ideas. In fact, they, they miss all the ideals in their hearts because of selfishness. And I tell people selfishness is the definition of sin. That's what it is. It is selfishness. I used to give theological definitions of sin when they asked me, what is sin? Well, I'd give all the, you know, it's missing the mark and all that, disobeying God and so on. But if I say it's selfishness, they never argue with me. And if I say it's selfishness that causes all the interrelationship problems in the world, they don't disagree with that. And then I say, and Jesus is the only solution to selfishness. And once selfishness is dealt with, these ideals become possible. So... This is a tremendous way to present the gospel. And, and I, I should have said this when I was talking about missions. We're not going out there. We are going out there to save people. Yes, I don't want to deny that. But we should think in terms of expanding the kingdom. That's why we're going. We're going to give a greater kingdom presence in this world. So that's what I have to say about that. The kingdom appeal. I already said it. It appeals to the eternity that's in our hearts. Everybody, when you talk about this, these ideals, everybody carries those. Like I said, that's the reason why socialism has had such a tremendous appeal. And Marxism was actually a Christian heresy from each according to his means to each according to his needs. That's that's straight from the gospel. All right. Um, oh, I, I wrote down a couple of quotes that I hear on the phone. That was magnificent when they hear the kingdom presented. I never heard that presentation of the gospel before. I mean, this is a message that the world is not hearing. And Jesus told us not to cast our pearls before swine. 
Well, then how are we going to relate to the world? Well, the world has to see it before they hear it. You know, Peter at Pentecost preached that wonderful sermon, but it wasn't until they asked him, what's this? We go preaching the gospel and we don't have people saying, what's this? <laughs> the kingdom gives them a visible picture of the gospel before they hear the gospel. And this is a very powerful way to demonstrate the kingdom. Well, just a few comments. Benefits of a kingdom focus. Number one, it eliminates individualism, which is the plague of all our churches. Our salvation is not an end in itself. It's not about me. It's a means to an end. In fact, it's interesting to me uh, that if you read the book of Ephesians, you'll read the whole book. There's nothing said there about anybody going to heaven. It's all about putting God's glory on display, putting his grace on display, the glory of his grace in a corporate body. In fact, that's basically what all the epistles are saying. There are some references to uh, the future, but pretty much it's, it's building a, a church, which is another way of saying the kingdom. You go into the epistles and it, uh, you don't see the kingdom very often. Uh, Jesus said, I'll build my church. And, and when he's talking about the kingdom, specifically, that's what he had in mind. And that's what the epistles are about. And I, I never saw that till, till this subject became uppermost in my mind. I read through the epistle. Well, this isn't saying much about people going to heaven. It's all about building this, this kingdom witness here on this earth. So it, it, it eliminates individualism. And like I said, I'm not surprised that we're having all this trouble with individualism. That's what we taught. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me and my relationship with God. And that's true, but that's only a means to an end. It's not an end. If you make it an end in itself, like Finney said, you're on the way to the wrong place. Number two, it gives current relevance to the gospel. I already referred to this. It gives, especially young people, an immediate cause to get enthused about and to get involved in. They don't have to say, well, here I have this difficult decision to make. Let's see. Will I go to heaven 50 years from now if I do this? Well, that's a pretty long-range goal for a person who's struggling with immediate issues. The kingdom gives them an immediate focus. Number three, it provides corporate strength for victory. You don't know how many people I talked to on the billboards. They're talking about all their problems. And I start asking, do you have family? No, my, I don't get along with my parents. And my family's skip. Do you have church? No, I'm not a part of the church. They're by themselves and they're, they're trying to be a Christian. And I tell them, of course, you're living in defeat. God never intended for any Christian to live the Christian life by himself. We win together. In fact, in Philippians chapter one, Paul makes a statement that always perplexed me. He says, I'm sure that you're going to finish well. And I thought, well, how could Paul say that? I've talked to had so many Christians that, that, uh, that weren't successful. Well, then you start to look at it carefully and he says, you are partakers of my grace. I'm contributing to your life. You're contributing to my life. And in this, we are strong together. And, and I know you're going to win because we're in this together. Uh, it's the picture of the Roman phalanx. The reason the Romans were so powerful as an army, they, they actually marched in phalanx uh, with their shields uh, all together in that front row. And you couldn't break through that front row. And if you did break through the front row, you met a second row just like it. <laughs> and so it, it gives corporate strength for victory. We are not fighting the battle alone. Uh, yeah, I wanted to mention in Philippians chapter one, I, I should turn to that, how Paul says that. And like I said, for years, it perplexed me. He said, uh, 
I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship. Notice, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet or suitable for me to think this. And then he explains this interrelationship. And uh, that's just tremendous. If, if we can get people incorporated into the body of Christ and become a functioning member, uh, we can have some confidence about their future. Number four, I've already discussed this. It puts issues in perspective, issues like homosexuality, issues like divorce and remarriage. I mean, once you paint this picture of the kingdom, I mean, divorce and remarriage is just totally irrelevant to this picture. It, it, it will ruin it. Accumulation of wealth. I mean, that makes no sense. If you're going to express the kingdom of God to the world, and here you have rich people and poor people in the same community, that, that, that's not going to have the right picture. Uh, it makes sense of strict obedience to what Jesus said. Jesus actually the reason why the kingdom is put to the future and, and all this question about it is because people say, well, it's too idealistic. I mean, there's no way people can live that way. Jesus actually meant for us to live this way. He actually did mean for this ideal kingdom to be expressed, not perfectly, but credibly. Number five, it inspires a desire to show a sharp contrast with the world. That's the glory of this kingdom. Everything in this kingdom is the opposite of everything out there. The opposite of its beliefs, the opposite of its values, the opposite of its practices. It is, it, the more distinct this picture is, the more powerful that witness is going to be. And if you don't see that, well, then people mess around and they compromise and they mix a little bit of the world in here. A little. By the way, Jesus said you're the salt of the earth. Salt is always salt. So what happens when salt loses its saltiness? It has to be a mixture. NACL is always NACL, but if you mix water with it or sand or soil, it becomes diluted. And so the glory of this kingdom is the stark contrast and the stark. Now I'm not talking about doing crazy things uh, like some people have done. I'm talking about a stark contrast in obeying what Jesus actually said. This stark contrast is its glory. Number six, it gives a motivation to build strong churches. The church has become something to treat however you want to treat it. Get up a party, have divisions in the church, run off and join some other church, split the church, whatever. It doesn't matter. If you really see, <laughs> we're, we have a little colony of heaven here. We are a lantern of righteousness. If I do this, if I buy this sporty car, is that going to help this picture? If I do something weird with my hair, is that going to help this picture? It's going to introduce frustration into the body. It's going to give a wrong picture to the world. So if, if we get this picture, it really inspired me from the time I first uh, began to see this. I want to be a church builder. I want to be, I want to do everything I can to make this church the most beautiful picture that I possibly can have it become uh, as Jesus taught. We won't be quick to divide. We won't be quick to cause a problem. We won't be quick to defile. We will love the church. It's the apple of God's eye, and it should be the apple of our eye as well. And the kingdom emphasis does that. If it's individualistic salvation, who cares? I'll do whatever I want to do. It's all about me getting me to heaven. 
And finally, it keeps the focus on the king. In Ephesians, in Revelation, he says they left their first love. Now, I always sort of had the idea they'd cooled off. But if you read what it says there, they hadn't. They were trying heretics and throwing them out of the church. And they were taking, they were trying to have a wonderful church. But they'd left their first love. Our first love is Jesus. And they had substituted that love with something else. Maybe it was church purity. Maybe it was evangelism. Maybe it was any one of a number of wonderful things that should grow out of this love for Christ. But a focus on the kingdom keeps the focus on the king and everything else grows out of that. I mean, it, it just grieves me when I hear somebody say, this church is about evangelism. No, this church is about Jesus. Evangelism is the result of burning hearts wanting to take that, uh, spread that light. And so I really think we must come back so focus on the kingdom, focus on the king, a strict obedience to what he taught, knowing that anything else will dim this light and make it uh, less than it should be. It, it just, <laughs> in every way, it, it, it motivates us to demonstrate a distinct society to the world. It motivates us to build strong churches. It motivates us to overcome the problems in our own life so we can keep this picture strong. Uh, it, in just every way, the kingdom is just a tremendous benefit to the church. And the kingdom is always going to be. I often think of Russia. In 1987, Russia celebrated the 70th year of Marxism in Russia. And they marched their armies down through the streets and they took their weapons and showed them off and saw how strong Marxism is. In 1988, Marxism had fallen. In 1988, Russia celebrated the 1,000th anniversary of the church coming to Russia. Oh, where are kings and empires now of all that went and came? But Lord, thy church is praying yet a thousand years the same. And so we are part of something that is permanent. And that is, that is such a blessing to me, uh, that we can be part of a kingdom that, that, that has permanence and nothing else does except the kingdom of God. So whatever your questions are, uh, if I said something that was wrong, please point it out. If I said something that you didn't understand, uh, I'll be glad to clarify. I tell people that, that this is the message I want to leave. When I, when I leave this earth, this is the message I hope I have had helped to bring back to the Anabaptist people. Amen. What a beautiful message that is. I'm inspired again this morning. Um, catching a vision of the kingdom has put so many things into perspective in my life. Um, so many things that, you know, I didn't understand for so many years. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us again this morning, that beautiful vision of the kingdom. Uh, does anyone have any questions or comments? I wanted to say about the gospel coming to Russia. I, I wanted to talk a little bit, a little bit about missions. When the, when the gospel is taken without the gospel of the kingdom, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do uh, in many ways. Can you imagine if when the gospel went to Russia, there had been a teaching against violence? Jesus' teaching of what I call uh, uh, the ideal resistance. Can you imagine if when the gospel came to Russia, they had taught non-accumulation of wealth? 
Can you imagine how history would be totally different if all the Christians in Russia, and many, most of them were nominal Christians of some sort, if the two things of the gospel that is always, almost always omitted would have been taught, it's wrong to, to do anything violent and it's wrong to accumulate wealth. The Marxists would have had no appeal whatsoever. The church would already have been demonstrating those ideals. But when the church gets taken, especially without the teaching against non-resistance, then you have a situation like you have in Sudan. You have the Christian South and the Muslim North fighting each other. You had the same thing in Lebanon. The, uh, and you folks maybe don't remember that battle in Lebanon for years between Christians and, and uh, Muslims. And, uh, oh, the Hutus and the Tutsis, Rwanda, four years before that horrible genocide, Rwanda had been touted by the evangelicals as the most Christian nation in the world. Both of those tribes were Christians, but they received the gospel without all of the teachings of the kingdom. And I praise the Lord for what good is done when that happened, when, when the gospel is brought without all that. But can you imagine what the world would be like if Christianity had taken the anti-gospel of the kingdom everywhere it went? It would have been a totally different world. Okay, that's... <laughs> As you can Amen. see, I can talk Amen. a long time about this yeah. subject. <laughs> it has so many ramifications. Yeah, that's right. Pardon me, Free Association Department. Uh, <laughs> yes, Dan. Uh, the the uh, expression "pie in the sky by and by" was uh, coined by a uh, 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 labor activist by the name of Joe Hill in 1911. And it was his retort to the the uh, blessed be gospel of when you uh, emphasizing what you die, what happens when you die, uh, when such institutions that were preaching this weren't feeding the people uh, while they were here. Yes, there, and it was part of a song. There'll be pie in the sky by and by. Well, see, I didn't know that. Thank you, Dan. He was mocking that. Well, that was the mockery that the Marxists always made, too, uh, that uh, religion is the opiate of the people. It just makes everybody happy, even though there are all these inequities. I have a question. Can you hear me? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if I don't I can't say this with with absolute, but it seems like that a lot of people when they gain this. um understanding of the kingdom or maybe it's a, a new revelation to them there seems to be a lot of tendency that those folks will go try to find a community or a culture a church culture that that best emulates that do you have any practical advice on how people can um maybe stay where they are and integrate that into their community or to to grow that concept in their community without this pulling away and leaving and going and finding somewhere else. Do you have any thoughts or insights on that? Yeah, if you're living in a community where uh, there's just so much darkness, you can't even claim any kind of certainty about your Christian experience without getting in trouble, you probably should leave. But I have never told an Amishman to leave the Amish faith. I'm not saying that it's, it, it's wrong always to do that. I've always said, look, there are good Amish communities. And I really advise you to remain Amish, but find yourself a good Amish community. And I can name a few of those. Another interesting example is I get 
quite a few calls now from the Hutterites, especially the Darius people. And what's happening there is the youth have gotten all excited about this subject, and they're listening to our sermons on CDs. And they call me and they say, what are we going to do? The old people drag their feet, and, and we would like to see reforms in our community. We would like to see outreach. We, yeah, what, what should we do? And then they tell me that all the youth are involved in these Bible studies. And I say to them, well, just hang in there. You're the next generation. <laughs> and so I think we should find ways to encourage. And I think, for instance, with the older, old order Amish and the older Mennonites and the, and the Hutterites, because some people have stayed and found ways in a peaceful way without constantly creating problems, found ways to just keep plugging away with their families, with their friends in those communities, I hear everywhere that those communities are, are seeing more and more light. That, that's what I'm hearing and that's what I'm observing. I don't know if that answers your question. I think there is a time to leave, but I think m- many people leave too quickly. And by the way, I wanted to say this. Sometimes when the kingdom gospel is preached, it's preached as a kingdom ethic, which means I follow the king. But see, that's still individualism. We have to see the kingdom in terms of community. We have to see the kingdom in terms of society. And I would like to even see us even think, believe it or not, in terms of how we can actually get closer together geographically to make this Mm -hmm. kingdom more visible. Amen. Yeah. Go ahead, Justin. I was just going to say, I really enjoyed this topic, Brother John. Um, It reminded me of about two years ago from this time of year, I picked you up at Toronto Airport and took you about a three-hour drive to the little church of Hillview. And uh, that three-hour drive was, was uh, there wasn't a quiet moment. We had a good discussion about the subject and others the whole way. So one thing I keep thinking about since that, time is this ideal of of living closer together and how can we do that how can we create an actual community that people can come and see and especially think about that with the high prices of houses and you know it'd be really nice to just buy a chunk of land and and develop it live like in, in a little village like you would propose but our bylaws wouldn't allow that in Canada. So how how do we do this? I mean, if any would say, let's go to the cities, they'll let you live together in the cities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) buy A couple of huge apartment houses next to each other. And that's Mm -hmm. what, that's what the, uh, um, Bruderhof is doing. They're, they're into city missions. There was a question came in on the chat here, and I think it was in your regards to your um, comments about billboard calls where you don't have churches between, you know, the East Coast and the West. Question was, are there really no examples of God's kingdom between the coasts of America? Well, if we can't, if there's no Anabaptist church to send them to, we send them, we try to send them to a holiness church. Mm -hmm. At least they will begin to realize it's it's about personal holiness. And then if worse comes to worse, our people have done a lot of work to try to investigate churches in various areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll even send them to a Baptist church uh, that has some concept of, of uh, uh, following Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I guess, you know, our way of life is so starkly different from the world. It, it, this might sound strange to you, 
But I think some people almost have to pass through some other churches before they get to us. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't have any problem with somebody starting out in a Baptist church. Uh, it, it, it could be that that's where they're going to have to start. And finally, because when they come into our circles, it's culture shock. <laughs> and, uh, but no, I wish, I wish they could come to our churches and I can always assure them. I said, look, it's going to be culture shock. When you walk in the door, you're going to see head coverings. You're going to see men greeting each other. I, I try to warn them what they're going to see. And I said, they're not expecting you to do any of that. I mean, if you're, you don't, you don't feel out of place, you're a visitor. They will, you will be received warmly. They will be glad you're there. You'll be welcome. Uh, but yeah, uh, it is difficult. Uh, very seldom is there a Mennonite church that I can refer them to. I appreciate your vision on um, mission. I guess that was the idea around evangelism was, you know, find somebody that's interested and then go start a church around them um, instead of just focusing on kingdom outposts. You know, there needs to be a light in these cities and these towns all across North America. Amen. Um, that's a that's a very vigorous vision, I would say. Um, very different than, you know, let's go around and snoop and see if we can find somebody that's interested in the area and then maybe find, you know, five or six families that could move in there. Um, make sure it's a good farming community. And, you know, there's that's seems like a very. Um, slow, hard way to spread the kingdom. But if you see it as we just need to, we need to light fires in all of these locations. And um, I love it. Well, the idea is if we don't go tell them, they're all going to hell. I don't know if you ever noticed the Bible never says that. Mm -hmm. In fact, it says when the Gentiles do by, uh, I forget how it says in Romans, the law in their hearts. God will take that into consideration in the judgment. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about their souls, but as a, as a, a motivation that, that that's what's going to happen to everybody. But God hasn't told us how he's going to wrap this up and what he's going to do with all of it. Mm -hmm. we, but we do need it. We need to think in terms of expanding the kingdom. <laughs> that's what we need Amen. to think about. Amen. Yeah. Um, good morning. Um, can y'all hear me? I can. Okay. Brother John, I, um, this is Kai Steinman. I first met you or heard your teaching when I was probably a teenager. And then there was a, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 year hiatus where somehow you kind of fell off my radar. And, uh, during that time, I, um, kind of, I guess did a lot of thinking on the kingdom and, um, I, I so, so appreciate your, your work and your, your teaching on the kingdom. I think you say you hope that it's the message you, you hope to bring back. And I would say you largely in part have brought that back. I know you piqued that interest in me as a young man. Um, but anyway, in that hiatus, um, I, I guess I came up with a, a definition of the kingdom that, that I've used. And it's simply the, the realm where God's will is done and his character is displayed. Amen. Yes. And I wonder, have you given any thought to the, the kingdom, the, the goal of the kingdom to return us to the, the true original intent of, of being Christ-like? And, you know, and you combine that with, with some of the verses in Ephesians, for example, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, 
unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that picture there is, is, of, is of us coming together in, in this. The, it's just incredible to me that the fullness of Christ can be shown um, by, the, by the church. But it, it's like you say, it's the church collective. It's not the church individual. So have you given thought to the to the the intent of God that we become like him rather than that it's just an ideal society but the ideal society is a godlike society Oh if I if I didn't bring that and I probably didn't yeah that is what it's all about I mean the community is going to represent all the facets of God's grace it talks about us of giving forth the manifold grace of God Absolutely. That's what it is. Yeah, thank you. And again, I really, really appreciate uh, your teaching. The sad part when I read Ephesians chapter four is the picture there is a group of people who are working together, building up and building up to something better and better and better. But all of us know that most churches begin on a high point. Everybody's all excited and it goes the other way. And if somebody can tell me, what we can do about that, let me know. Oh, I don't want, did want to say this. This is a wonderful idea. So let's all get together. Let's buy a piece of land. Let's move on it. Let's do this. Be aware, this is the picture the devil does not want the world to ever see. And you can be sure that you've taken on a project that's going to challenge you because the devil's going to do everything he possibly can to destroy that. And you need to go into that with that awareness that you're going to have in personal struggles you're gonna there are all kinds of things gonna happen to destroy this and and we need we need to go into it with that idea i mean most people think they're gonna get together they're gonna love each other so much they're gonna eat each other and they end up doing that uh yeah so be careful this is an ideal the devil hates he hates this probably he probably hates this more than an individual who's a christian he does not want the world to see this picture So, Brother John, um, <clears throat> there's a brother on here who messaged me this week. He's moving into the city um, in Ontario, and he said that there is some of his Mennonite uh, friends who are saying that he's pitching his tent towards Lot. And, um, uh, I'm sorry, towards Sodom. And, um, and um, you know, he's, he's getting a lot of pushback uh, on that idea. And I'd love to hear you think. So sometimes there's like this kind of a negative theology that says, you know, let's kind of move, you know, onto a, a, a compound. And so we can kind of, you know, keep away from, from the negative influences of the world. Or I would say this even has affected the, the Anabaptist world, you know, largely the last hundred years or maybe more than that, probably a couple hundred years really of kind of a long lane and lots of cornfields um, kind of away from people and just kind of built into our DNA now is this idea that cities are dangerous. But shouldn't uh, a robust kingdom theology point us towards people and reaching people? And, and shouldn't that, shouldn't it almost be the exception of kind of this, um, kind of this country lifestyle that has a long lane? Like, shouldn't we be, shouldn't that drive us to people and put us in front of people so we can be this testimony to the world? What are your thoughts there? Well, all of the New Testament churches were city churches. Uh, Christianity was an urban movement. Uh, in fact, the uh, word uh, uh, for uh, 
he the, the word for the non-Christians or was either heathen, the people who live out there on the heath, the Latin word was Paganini. So the word pagan literally means country dwellers. That's really what it means. Uh, so even the terminology uh, suggests that the Christians were in the cities. Uh, they, they weren't out there. They, they weren't the pagans. They weren't the ones who lived out there. Uh, yeah. Amen. So I, one thing that stood out to me once we moved here to State College, to Penn State here, there's 40,000 students and 10,000 of them are international students. Mm-hmm. And there was no kingdom witness here at all. I mean, there's a liberal Mennonite church across town that's way off the charts. Um, no kingdom witness. And in our cafe, we literally have the world flows through our cafe. It's just, it, it, it impresses me almost every week, the interactions that we have there. And just this morning, uh, a friend from Burundi, East Africa, messaged me. I mean, a place where there's no kingdom theology. He, he's a really dear friend. And we've had a lot of discussions around this. And he's been really, he's a, he's a Catholic Christian. Um, and I believe he is a Christian. He's incredibly sincere, but has been really impacted by, by a little, our, our community. Um, but it, it seems like maybe even you know, some of the questions we have here is, is how far do we go? It might be just 10 miles. I mean, the, the, the college students don't get out that far from their college. And it might be just moving into some of these places where, like Penn State, you know, in the center of Pennsylvania. And Mennonites have been here, and, and there's been no kingdom witness here for years. And I thought, what a, what a tragedy. You know, people can come in, you know, we have church groups come in, stand down the street corner, passing out tracts. It's no impact, if not a negative impact, in my opinion, um, in ways. And, and so um, I just think it's sad. I just think it's really sad. Pittsburgh, you know, uh, well, there's a brother, you know, who's part of the admin team here who's moving out there next week, you know. But there sits Pittsburgh, huge city with no kingdom church. And, and it's the same. We're, we're, I, I hear you talking about it. It's the same issue across the United States and all over the world. You know, I don't know. It, it just seems like we, this kingdom message really, I believe, is <clears throat> if we can grasp it, is a driver to go out in smaller yes. groups and be that, 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 that lantern to the world, that kingdom witness. Um, may, may God help us. Amen. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things I hope that the kingdom message with another, a new generation inspires people to plant colonies of heaven all over this, all over this country. And I think the world is poised to hear this message. I mean, the world is in worse turmoil and confusion than probably it has ever been. And like I said, when I present this on the telephone, I mean, immediately they gravitate to that. I've never had a negative person, uh, a negative response to this. Thank you, Brother John, for sharing. Here's another question that came in through the Strength of Strength email. It says, uh, John talked about staying where you are. What if you are not even allowed Bible study and some people preach you cannot know if you're saved? What should be our response? In that situation, maybe you should leave. I, the, we don't like church divisions. And, you know, we lament and we wring our hands about them. Listen, the church has been preserved by remnants. If, if there had not been remnants that says we must now, this, this no long, I can't stay here longer. I need to go out and, and start afresh. If that had not been done, the whole church would be an apostasy. But my problem is how that's done. There should be a way uh, 
to live your witness. So they either throw you out and then that's their problem, not yours. Uh, or the, I think when churches start to drip, if a group of people would say, look, we would like to, we'd like to go and, and do a church plant. Would you bless us as we go and, and, and have a, not have the world see this tremendous ugliness that happens when in, in most church divisions. So I have no problem with the idea of starting over again. The remnant is how the church has been perpetuated. But I think we really need to be careful how that's done. So if any of you are here and you need to leave, think carefully how you can leave in peace. Thank you for responding to that. Hey, John, uh, I was uh, I was taking notes here and I got two full pages and all of these things were very meaningful and uh, very simple. And I was just wondering if you have any plans of writing a book or if there's any books that you that you would suggest on this. The problem is writing is so hard for me. Now, speaking is easy, as you can see, but writing is very difficult. And so somebody asked me recently, well, is there somebody you could talk to who will write this book for you? So I rec- they recommended Gary Miller. And he called and we had a long conversation. So whether Gary will write the book or not, I don't know. But I, I've always wanted to write this book, but I just don't have it, what it takes, the discipline or whatever. So you pray. You pray that somebody will write it. Because I read a lot of kingdom books. And like I said, E. Stanley Jones has a lot to say, but he doesn't see the two kingdoms. He doesn't see the picture I gave you this morning of little colonies of heaven. He sees more the whole society being permeated by this. Uh, so, so all good as his works are, they're missing that concept. And so I've never read a book on the kingdom that really said what I said this morning in its entirety. So, yeah, it is a book I'd like to see written. It's a worthy, it's a worthy message and it has the power to transform lives. Yes, in yes. a way that um, most of the gospel that you hear preached today doesn't actually have. I think the the most exciting part of it for me is, is it actually gives you a purpose and a calling right now. Yes, I mean, you you start your eternal life with Christ right now in the kingdom. And that just increases as you go until you finally crash through the, the barrier and join Christ in in person. Um, that's so incredibly thrilling to be a part of a cause like this um, here on the earth right now. And the idea of trying to overcome sin in your life because you want to spend eternity with God, you know, in the future is it's very difficult. Um, but overcoming so that you can spend eternity with God starting immediately is uh, it's a powerful thing and it has the power to transform lives. It is the gospel. Yes. Are there any other comments before we wrap this up? I've really been enjoying the the lively conversation here. Well, I hope we have a, a fresh vision of the kingdom this morning. Um, be excited about it. Um, you know, make it, this is, this is a very personal thing, but it is also about the groups that we, that we live in. And, um, I guess 
be sure that your brothers and sisters understand the kingdom message as well. Share it with the people around you. And I really appreciate what you were saying about using this in your billboard ministry and how the world, when you explain this model, they can't argue against it. This is what they want. These are the kinds of people that they would like to spend their lives with. And the large frustration in society is this isn't the case. We can't trust people. We can't, you know, they're, they're not dependable. And so when you explain a, a society, if we can call it, where they are trustworthy, they are dependable, and they, are, they do put others first, that's appealing. I mean, I don't care who you are. That is a, that is a beautiful thing. And I think it's a, a wonderful um, approach to evangelism is be sure that this is what we're modeling in our homes in our lives, in our congregations, so that the communities can see, catch a glimpse of who Jesus is and what his will is for, for, the, for um, individuals. Yeah, thank uh, you. Guy Hershberger so coined that term, society of the redeemed. I really like that. Oh, People understand, when you say kingdom of heaven, that sounds so otherworldly that doesn't have any practical... Yeah import but if you say society of christ or society of uh, redeemed in fact when our church started i suggested we call it chippensburg society of christ but that was a little bit too much of a stretch for all of them so we didn't call it that but that's if you want a new name for a church uh that's that's a suggestion uh society of christ i like that yeah um I have a question for clarification. Sure. Um, thank you, Brother John. Great message. Uh, great, um, great example in your life as well. But you earlier on mentioned about the kingdom being communities of, of light, lanterns of righteousness. Um, and then towards the end in the discussion, you mentioned about buying a piece of property and everybody coming together. You mentioned earlier about spreading these out all over the nation and the, and the globe. And then you started talking about bringing everybody together into a small community. Um, I'm not quite sure how you balance that. I'm not quite sure the, what's the problem. Uh, in other words, you do have a small community for the whole world, for, for the larger community to look at and observe. Right, but you talked about kind of get, binds a plot of land and, and coming together. Um, you're talking about that within the, the various um, communities of, of the nation and the world? Yes. Okay, okay. Little, little, little colonies of heaven, a visible working uh, colony of heaven. Okay. I thought you were talking about a global thing of everybody coming together. Uh, no, no, no. I was talking about little outposts. No. Keyword is little. Keep it little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. By the way, Earl is my second cousin. Go ahead. I like the, uh, the idea of using the term society in the name of your local assembly. One of the things that made me radical enough to, to even think about dipping my toe in the waters of Anabaptism is uh, that I have a very uneasy relationship with the word church. Uh, 
frankly, I just think it's the wrong word. Uh, to, to translate uh, ecclesia should be something like assembly or congregation. And society is another good synonym. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget that the word ecclesia really in the Greek culture meant the town council. Uh, it wasn't just a called out body. It was a called out body with the purpose of bringing government to bear. Mm-hmm. And, and that, first of all, the, the ecclesia is to bring the government of God to bear on our lives and then to have a, a, an influence on society that brings some order in, in society's concept of life. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm sure we could spend better part of the day discussing this. It is an exciting topic. And um, you did mention that there are a lot of trickle down aspects of this in our lives and we could have a talk on every one of those um, individual effects and the outcomes of them. Um, so I think we should wrap this up for this morning, but continue to press into the kingdom, continue to study it, um, continue to look at ways that it can impact your life and the lives of those around you. Um, God bless you, John, for sharing with us this morning. We appreciate your passion. Um, it ignites passion in each one of our hearts to catch a vision of this gospel, the gospel that Jesus Christ preached while he was here. Um, and I think it's significant to recognize it as that. Um, let's just close with prayer. Um, Brother John, would you lead out? Father, we thank you so much uh, that you have given us such an exciting purpose for living right now and lord we pray it every time we pray the lord's prayer thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven and i pray lord help us to have such a passion for the church lord uh first of all help us to have a a number one passion for the king and then for his kingdom and lord somehow uh help us to make everything else be a means to that end all the practical details in our lives focused on the king and his kingdom and lord i pray just right now for the uh hostages down there in Haiti. Lord, this is an example uh, for the world to see. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that somehow throughout of all of this, we might have another nickel mines experience where the world sees something that uh, is impressive, uh, that they don't understand, that they can't attain themselves. So bless those people, Lord, give them comfort. I pray, speak to the captors, soften their hearts, oh God. I pray that something would happen there uh, to them uh, as well. So bless us as we go today, Lord. Help us to keep the kingdom up first in our uh, uppermost in our minds. You told us where to seek the kingdom first, and help us to make that our number one priority. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, before we go, there are a couple announcements. We, um, as the admin team, have come to the decision to have these meetings every other Saturday. Um, So starting, um, there actually won't be a meeting next Saturday morning. Uh, Part of the reasoning behind that is to conserve resources, I guess, and make sure that we um, have meetings that are, have quality speakers, quality content. And so we've decided to, go to every other week. So next Saturday, there will not be a strength to strength meeting.
And then the following Saturday, which is November 6th, we will have Chuck Pike, and it's going to be a two-part event. There'll be the regular 6 a.m. meeting and a 3 p.m. meeting on November 6th. And that is another installment of the um, Patriotic Ambassadors series. So you're all welcome back on November the 6th at 6 a.m. and at 3 p.m. Well, thank you all for joining us this morning. It has been um, an inspiring and wonderful time. God bless you as you serve in your um, colony of the kingdom, wherever that is and wherever God has called you to serve him. God bless you and have a wonderful day. Oh, by the way, E. Stanley Jones, if you're going to read anything he wrote, and most of his stuff's out of print, you'll have to get it off by Amazon. The Christ of the Mount is his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, it's, well, it's a very good read. The Christ of the Mount. Have a good day. Thank you. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.